I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome to the beloved community. It's neighbor helping neighbor in need. It's a fifth grader standing up to a bully for a friend. It's a teacher staying after class to help a struggling student. Inside Sources host Boyd Matheson talks to local leaders about what we're doing to make the Dr. Martin Luther King's beloved community a reality in Utah. Here's Boyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. spoke often about the need to create the beloved community in which people of every race, religion, and nation could live together in peace and harmony and work together for the common progress of humankind. In the beloved community, poverty, hunger, and homelessness will not be tolerated because standards of human decency won't allow it. Racism and all forms of discrimination, bigotry, and prejudice will be replaced by an all-inclusive spirit of sisterhood and brotherhood. I'm Boyd Matheson, host of Inside Sources. Welcome to KSL News Radio General Conference Special, The Beloved Community, recognizing and elevating the interconnectedness of our lives. Dr. King did not invent the term, The Beloved Community. He learned about it from the philosopher and theologian Josiah Royce and expanded upon it with elements of his personal vision. It was reflected in the I Have a Dream speech he shared at the Lincoln Memorial in August of 1963. Dallin H. Oaks, first counselor in the first presidency of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, spoke recently to members of the church in Chicago, Illinois. He described the premise of the beloved community. President Oaks challenged all to recognize the need to see each other as sisters and brothers and not only respect one another despite our differences, but to love one another. All men and women on earth are the offspring of God, spirit brothers and sisters. What a powerful idea. No wonder God's only begotten Son commanded us to love one another. If only we could do so. What a different world it would be if brotherly and sisterly love and unselfish assistance would transcend all boundaries of nation, creed, and color. As the Book of Mormon taught, we must press forward having a love of God and of all men. This teaching, to follow our Savior's command to love one another as he loves us, is one of our greatest challenges. It requires us to live together with mutual respect for one another's differences in today's world. That love of all people, to listen, to engage, is really the essence and the very beginning of the beloved community. Andrew Teal, who is a chaplain, fellow, and lecturer in theology at Pembroke College, spoke to BYU students in October of 2021 
describing where we must begin to build that beloved community. We are already called into being as a beloved community. We are all beloved now, no exceptions. The Lord has called us together because he simply can't take his eyes off us in his love. So we need to reflect that wonder. We need to show that whoever somebody is, whatever their color, creed, background, gender, sexual orientation, you name it, the Lord loves you. That is the baseline. We don't have to build that. That is the fact. Sometimes in our past, as religious communities of various hues, we have been too quick to speak, too eager to judge, too slow to listen and communicate the Lord's love. We speak today of a cancel culture, deliberately demonizing and diminishing those with whom we disagree but some of our different religious communities' approaches to minorities or to powerless people have indeed nurtured this response. So we have to listen and learn and love. I love what Chaplain Teal talked about in terms of reflecting that wonder, that excitement, that curiosity about other people, especially across our differences to make sure we value those differences, that we don't fall into the trap of social media and cancel culture and demonize someone simply because we disagree with them. In a society and fast forward where kitchen tables are often empty and on-the-go eating is the norm, opportunities for listening and learning from others, especially from those who might look or live differently, are in short supply. Few families are gathering, fewer communities are convening, which is causing the fabric of society to fray. One of the greatest risks to a thriving society or organization is the loss of story and the principles that story contains and preserves. Years ago, I remember reading an account of the work of Dr. Carl Frost, who studied a tribe in Nigeria during the late 1960s. Electricity had just been brought to the village, and each family of the tribe was given a single light bulb in their primitive huts. Frost at first saw this as a sign of real progress. But within a very short period of time, the tribe began to spiral into chaos and confusion. Squabbles arose, time-tested behaviors and values began to be ignored, and the society began to unravel. The trouble was that at night, the families would go and sit in their huts and stare in awe of this new technology, this glowing bulb in their huts. The light bulb watching began to replace the customary nighttime gatherings around the tribal fire where the storytellers or the shaman would pass along the story of the tribe and what principles and character traits made them great. The tribe began to lose their sense and place in their own history along with their connection and their commitment to values and to each other, all in the glow of a few electric light bulbs. Sadly, history is repeating itself as young and old alike regularly sit for hours entranced by the glow of an electronic device while ignoring loved ones who often are only a few feet away physically but worlds away emotionally. 
family and community connections are being lost at an alarming and ever-increasing rate. It's important to note that the blessed community can never be created in isolation. And the penalty for failing to connect to one another, to tap into that shared story of community, is the tragic loss of compelling history, of critical values and principles, and even a crucial vision of the future. What we forget or neglect, our children may never know, and what our children do not know, our grandchildren are unlikely to ever realize or possess. When we come back, we'll pick up our conversation on creating the beloved community as we talk with Rabbi Melissa Weintraub and Episcopal Bishop Phyllis Spiegel about truly seeing and authentically listening to our neighbors. You're listening to KSL News Radio General Conference Special, The Beloved Community, recognizing and elevating our interconnectedness of our lives. I'm Boyd Matheson, host of Inside Sources, weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. We'll be right back. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America, but this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Floyd Matheson hosts Inside Sources weekdays here on KSL. Join him tomorrow for elevated conversation about the news of the day that is different. One to three here on KSL News Radio. I'm Boyd Matheson, host of Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to this KSL News Radio General Conference special, The Beloved Community, recognizing and elevating the interconnectedness of our lives. As early as 1956, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. spoke of the beloved community as the end goal of nonviolent boycotts. As he said in a speech at a victory rally following the announcement of a favorable U.S. Supreme Court decision desegregating the seats on Montgomery's buses, The end is reconciliation. The end is redemption. The end is the creation of the beloved community. It is this type of spirit and this type of love that can transform opponents into friends. It is this type of unconditional goodwill that will transform the deep gloom of the old age into the exuberant gladness of the new age. It is this love which will bring about miracles in the hearts of men. As we continue our conversation, we turn to two new friends of mine that have taught me much about what it takes to truly be in community. Bishop Phyllis Spiegel is the Bishop of the Episcopal Church of Utah. We sat down recently and we're discussing how community is created coming out of isolation and how love can be fostered for all. Out of the last three years, isolation has been a huge word. Well, let's put community in place of that. Let's really build up who are the needs of others, whose needs are not being seen and, and and when we think about that, that's not always people who uh, are, are unhoused or the people who, who are below poverty line. We think about those sure. those neighbors, but also we have neighbors who are isolated through age or mm. illness yeah. or um, their family doesn't live near them. Yeah. So yeah. building community, it's the way we know God. I just love how Bishop Spiegel says, replace isolation with community. And how Bishop Spiegel talks about not just those that are struggling, the unhoused, the imprisoned, the impoverished, or the addicted, but those living on our own streets 
who might be isolated or who might be disconnected from the beloved community through age or illness or depression. It is all of our jobs to reach out and to lift up. Bishop Spiegel then talked about the woman at the well in the New Testament story and community and connectedness lessons in her encounter with Jesus. Yesterday, three times during the day, the story of Jesus with the woman at the well came up in mm. conversation. And you know, when that happens, boy, three times, three times. <laughs> Someone's well, saying something. Episcopalians <laughs> love three, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three's our number. But but it is, there's there's a message there. And, and, and Jesus sat and listened with this woman in the heat of the day. So mm. I'm thinking about, you know, my first August in Salt Lake City, sitting out <laughs> on the front plaza of the Episcopal Church Center and listening. You know, that's that's some listening skills right there. That's that's the teacher that we have on how to listen. One of my other new friends, Rabbi Melissa Weintraub, heads an organization called Resetting the Table. She shared with me what it means to truly capture another person, truly capture the essence of who they are, uh, not what we think they are or what we might project they are, but what they really are and how we do that by listening and reflecting. The more people feel that who they really are is truly seen by others, the more they feel a sense of connection and generosity, even in the face of strong disagreement and challenge. Um, So interpersonally, we teach practices to help accomplish that, you know, to be able to capture each other and reconstruct each other's lenses on their own terms until, you know, we lean forward in our chairs and say exactly, yes, that's that's me, that's it. Um, We call that a bullseye reflection. Mm. And that's a technique that we teach people to practice interpersonally. And there's also... um, implications for the ways we design our communities and institutions and the ways we make our decisions so that people feel seen and like their voices and input matter and how we make contentious decisions. Um, And there's even applications for journalists and for other media makers. We work with Hollywood writers and producers and uh, a whole range of societal storytellers in terms of how they can work to capture disparate streams and identities of American life on their own terms. I think that's so important that we get that bullseye reflection. In other words, not moving on to the next thing we want to say until that person we're talking with feels like we hit the bullseye. They can reflect back that they've been heard and that they've been understood. That's a different kind of conversation that leads to better community. David Brooks is one of the nation's leading writers and commentators. He's a columnist for The New York Times and best-selling author. Some time ago, I sat down and interviewed David Brooks, and we discussed a component of the blessed community, which is our capacity to care and live in connection, even covenant with those in our community, requires us to recognize what we really have inside. There's just that each of us have a tremendous ability to care for each other that is beyond, it's mystical. I had a friend who, um, when her baby was born, her first daughter, she said, I found that I loved her more than evolution required. (laughs) And I've I've always liked that phrase. I love that. Of course, we have our attachments, but some of them are so deep, it's beyond what we need. It's just, it's sort of a magical ability to care for other people. I love the way David phrased that. It, It is natural. It's almost magical. I think it's actually divine, the ability we have to care and feel for others. Uh, Some take this divine inclination and apply it to transforming lives in their communities. And David Brooks refers to these people as the weavers, and you can find them in every community. These people have this magic ability to have compassion and then to take action. 
I've had the great fortune in the last um, year to be around what I call weavers. Um, there's a lot of social isolation in this country, but there are a lot of people who are building community and building relationships. And I created something at the Aspen Institute to try to learn from them, their example and build on their effect. And so we go around the country when we land in a town and we look for the weavers. We just go to the town and say, who's trusted here? And wherever you go, it could be a small town, big city. There's hundreds of people who get mentioned and we meet them. And some, some of them have started a program to help um, young men have father figures in their lives. A guy in Ohio who founded a boxing gym and he wasn't really teaching boxing. He was teaching young men how to be men in a gentle way. A woman in Baltimore who surrounds each of the 450 lowest performing kids in the schools there with these vast networks of volunteers who are really serving as a, a second family for the kids, driving them to school, taking them lunch, being there through the ups and downs. And so these are people who have built community and it's been, uh, I think it's transformative to be around them because they believe in deep mutuality that we're all broken, we're all equal, we're all walking in this together and they're really great at relationship. When we recognize that we're all broken, that we all are in need of each other, then Dr. King's vision of a blessed community really begins to blossom. You're listening to KSL News Radio General Conference Special, The Beloved Community, recognizing and elevating the interconnectedness of our lives. I'm Boyd Matheson, host of Inside Sources, weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. When we come back, we'll look at the power of the beloved community to lift, bless, and unite as we tap into my conversation with U.S. Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina. Welcome to the Beloved Community. It's neighbor helping neighbor in need. It's a fifth grader standing up to a bully for a friend. It's a teacher staying after class to help a struggling student. Inside Sources host Boyd Matheson talks to local leaders about what we're doing to make the Dr. Martin Luther King's Beloved Community a reality in Utah. Here's Boyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. In a July 13, 1966 article in Christian Century Magazine, Dr. King affirmed the ultimate goal inherent in the quest for the beloved community. I do not think of political power as an end, he said. Neither do I think of economic power as an end. They are ingredients in the objective that we seek in life. I think that the end of that objective is a truly brotherly society, the creation of the beloved community. I'm Boyd Matheson, host of Inside Sources. Welcome back to this KSL News Radio General Conference special, The Beloved Community, recognizing and elevating the interconnectedness of our lives. Tim Scott is a United States senator from South Carolina and possible candidate for president. He has often described his journey as being from cotton to Congress. His grandfather worked in the cotton fields. He was raised by a single mother in his grandparents' home. And with the help of a truly blessed community, he rose to the United States Congress and now serves in the United States Senate. Recently, Senator Scott was in Salt Lake City for an event with the Orangey Hatch Foundation. He took time to sit down with me for a chat about the state of our communities and how we build that blessed community, which is the basis for a blessed country. Senator Scott said, hope for the blessed community begins with people being more concerned about the next generation and the future than they are about their own success. What I found to be remarkable is that every single American I ran into, they were more concerned about making America better than they were about making America better for themselves. Mm. The, the one thing I love about our country that gives me hope is I spoke at the Hatch Foundation this afternoon, 200 people or so in the room. They were concerned about the next generation for Americans. They weren't looking for ways to make life better for themselves. 
Anytime you have that sacrificial spirit on display, you know there's reasons to be hopeful. When I look at around the room and I see your chamber of commerce, I see your speaker of the house, I see your former governor, I see businessmen and community leaders all in the same place, recognizing that we are better together, America's best days are ahead of her. It's often been said that real leaders plant shade trees they will never sit under. Uh, We often see that here in the state of Utah. It's also interesting that faith in the country and faith in the community really does begin with faith in the community. When people of every faith and people of no faith bring their authentic and best selves into the public square, the public square becomes better. As I talked with Senator Scott, he described something that most people don't know happens every Wednesday in our nation's capital. On Wednesday mornings, several of us Republicans and Democrats get together to share our faith with one another and why our faith is so important. The one thing you'll find on both the left and the right on Wednesday mornings in your nation's capital is that we never leave our faith behind. The truth is that Matthew 25 does a great job of distilling our responsibility to the most vulnerable people in our communities. That's a responsibility that I take as a person uh, that believes that my faith should be my guide. It's my, my, my true compass north. Senator Scott talked about how that faith in the community is what allows leaders and individuals to see those that are most vulnerable among us. When we stop worrying about position and power and we start looking at people, we go from managers to mentors, from commanders to coaches, and we go from just being a leader to truly being a servant. And so for those of us who are faith-filled, we are flawed. Uh, we, we need help, but we never leave our faith behind because ultimately it's my faith that makes me want to be a servant more than a leader. It's my faith that teaches me to look for those who are underserved and not just to friends. It's my faith that reminds me that I, too, need a Savior, and I can, at the very least, be the hands and feet of the good Lord uh, in, a, in, a, in a tangible way. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland, an apostle in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, once told me that faith gives purpose and hope to our lives. It encourages us to help each other, to love each other. Absent faith, we can easily stumble down a ladder that at the top was glowing humanism but at the bottom, smashed us nose first into joyless cynicism. You see, for the cynic, there is no real reason to help a neighbor in need or friend that is faltering because what's the use? Life will just bring us more trouble and disappointment tomorrow. It's why we have to see each other. In the beloved community of Dr. King's dream, poverty, hunger, and homelessness will not be tolerated because standards of human decency will not allow it. Racism and all forms of discrimination, bigotry, and prejudice will be replaced by an all-inclusive spirit of sisterhood and brotherhood. Now, I personally believe the American dream is alive and well in the United States, but many young people fail to reach their dreams because they've been told by society that they're victims, that they can't achieve. There's four principles that can help the next generation get beyond the victim mentality, take charge of the future, and get on their own path to success and become part of the solution for that beloved community. Ian Rose, a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, where he focuses on education and upward mobility, family formation, and adoption. 
He's also the author of Agency, the four-point plan for all children to overcome the victimhood narrative and discover their pathway to power. Mr. Rowe is also the co-founder of Vertex Partnership Academies and the National Summer School Initiatives. I sat down with Ian Rowe to discuss these four crucial principles that he points out to the beloved community that create individual upward mobility, family stability, and stronger community. This state and this city are incredible examples of what happens when you have very high-functioning, strong families, strong rates of marriage, low non-marital birth rates, high levels of faith commitment, more educational choice. Again, there always could be more. Yeah. But it means something that the non-marital birth rate in this state is only about 19% relative to the rest of the country. It's 40% across the country. These are devastating, what I call equal opportunity tsunami Mm. kind of rates because we have high rates of family fragility in the white community, black community, Hispanic community. These are the things we have to talk about. Yes, we need to audit programs, but we have to acknowledge that policy can only go so far. Exactly. We have to revitalize the key institutions, family, religion, education, and entrepreneurship. Family, religion, education, and entrepreneurship are crucial components. I repeat what I said before, that the ability to have faith in our community is the ability for all to have faith in their community. These principles are part of a success sequence for young people. And when we recognize that policy and programs can only go so far, we can start looking to community and the things that young people know they need to succeed. This is what young people want. Mm. Young people don't want to be told, well, you're growing up in a world that's so screwed up. You've got to wait for some other group of oppressors to take their proverbial boot off of your neck. Right? Mm. Young people want to know, well, what is it that I can do? Yeah. What is it that I can accomplish? What are the tools that have existed for millions of people before me? That faced much greater barriers. What are those tools? And so we as adults have the responsibility to be honest with young people about the tools within their control. The strength of the family they form, regardless of the family that they're from. Mm. The ability for them to shape a personal faith commitment. The opportunity to get a great education. And then ultimately their their ability to be an entrepreneur. To be a problem solver in their own lives. We owe it to young people to tell that story. Ian Rowe also shared with me the reason the founders of this country trusted individuals and communities more than they trusted government to create societies that flourish. The framers of the Constitution trusted in the people, a well-informed populace, much much better than some top-down, this is the way all of us must live, because that's just not, that does not mesh with human development and human flourishing. Truly, the founders of this nation recognized the need and the wisdom in trusting the people over politics or even policy or programs to create societies that flourish, where individuals can rise above wherever they were born and create something better for their future. We call that social capital. Abraham Lincoln understood that the true role of government was to lift artificial weights from all shoulders, to clear the path of laudable pursuit for all, to give all an unfettered start and a fair chance in the race of life. The rest really comes back to community. 
More than people needed access to roads or to capital, they needed access to other people. And the same is true today. More than people need access to capital or funding, more than they need access to government programs, they need access to other people in their blessed community. Because that's where lives are changed. It's neighbor helping neighbor in need. It's a fifth grader standing up to a bully for a friend. It's a teacher staying after class to help a struggling student. It's a rabbi or priest helping a struggling soul. That's where the blessed community begins. That's where our society transforms and changes. And that requires a little something different from all of us. The blessed community cannot be created by government edict or congressional action. It is done as each of us intentionally build that community. I want to go back to Chaplain Teal as he explained how and why we need to build individually our portion of that beloved community. So being a beloved community is also necessarily building a beloved community which is safe being near enough to be trusted, but far enough ahead to be worth following, listening, and being accountable. I love that. Being near enough to be trusted and far enough ahead to be worth following. And so that's a responsibility for each and every one of us, to be close enough that we can be trusted, that we can truly listen, that we can have transparency and accountability in our communities, and then that we can lift and serve and help everyone around us. You're listening to KSL News Radio General Conference Special, The Beloved Community, recognizing and elevating the interconnectedness of our lives. I'm Boyd Matheson, host of Inside Sources Weekdays here on KSL News Radio from 1 to 3 p.m. When we come back, we'll close out our program with a message from President Dallin H. Oaks and a message from Reverend Amos Brown on becoming one and some final thoughts on creating that beloved community. Stay with us. When you need more than news headlines, listen to Inside Sources. Think differently about the news with host Boyd Matheson. Same station, tomorrow at 1 on KSL News Radio. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote in 1966 Our goal is to create a beloved community, and this will require a qualitative change in our souls as well as a quantitative change in our lives. I'm Boyd Matheson, host of Inside Sources. Welcome back to this KSL News Radio General Conference special, The Beloved Community, recognizing and elevated the interconnectedness of our lives. It's vital for us to transcend and come to truly value our differences. Reverend Amos Brown, 17th pastor of the historic Third Baptist Church of San Francisco, once expressed to me his hope for coming together and creating this beloved community. And in Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are saying, why not first talk to each other, get to know each other? Why not become involved in practical programs that will get traction and take us toward a day when we will be done with strife, violence, and racial bigotry? But we will be what that Beloved community was all about that Dr. Martin Luther King, my teacher, envisioned, where we would live together as brothers and sisters and not perish as fools. 
I love Reverend Brown, everything about him, the way he expresses what we need to do to create that beloved community, the partnership, the unique friendship between Reverend Brown and President Russell M. Nelson of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has transformed many lives and has helped to foster communities, beloved communities around the nation. In fact, at a national convention of the NAACP in Detroit, Reverend Brown told me that America has been called to be not a melting pot, but a salad bowl. As only Reverend Brown could describe it, he said the salad bowl is instructive because the ingredients never lose their identity. A salad bowl is more nutritious, he said, and concluded that together, valuing the differences, America can, like the contents of a salad bowl, be more healthy, more robust, and come closer to becoming that shining city on a hill. I love that from Reverend Brown. And it's true that valuing our differences makes all the difference while enabling and empowering each of us to do our part to actually make a difference. Now, I want to stick with the salad bowl for a moment. The ingredients in the salad bowl maintain their identity. They're not forced or forged into sameness as a stew or a melting pot. So the crispness of the carrots, the vibrant color of the tomatoes, the leafy lettuce, the unique texture of the cucumber, and even the crunch of the croutons, all are valued for what they are and what they bring to the bowl. So no ingredient has to dominate. No one has to cower or hide. But together, the ingredients of the salad bowl provide both taste and nutrition. So likewise, in America, as we look to create the beloved community, we should celebrate our cultural diversity, showcase the divine differences in our faith traditions, promote the power of our unique geographies, and tap into the virtues of our various communities. Sadly, and most unfortunately, in the midst of political polarization and white-hot rhetoric, the salad bowl is not even a melting pot. It's a civil society in meltdown. Sadly, many in positions of power have propagated a win over, not a win with others, a zero-sum game for our nation where race and gender, orientation, education, class, and income level define, divide, and eventually destroy any hope for cooperation, community, and a better country. Now, this is not the America I know. This is not the America I believe in. This is not the future America I hope is here for my grandchildren. I want that beloved community. Former First Lady Michelle Obama framed our national salad bowl this way. Here in America, we don't let our differences tear us apart. Not here. Because we know that our greatness comes from when we appreciate each other's strengths, when we learn from each other, when we lean on each other. Because in this country, it's never been each person for themselves. No, we're all in this together. We always have been. Beyond the salad bowl, it becomes a unity of purpose, not a distinction of identity that makes the difference in creating the beloved community. President Dallin H. Oaks of the First Presidency of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, in his address to members of the church in Chicago, Illinois, spoke of how we respect and value our difference while focusing on the things that actually unite us. This living with differences is what the gospel of Jesus Christ teaches us that we must do. We must be examples of civility. As followers of Christ, 
we should seek to live peaceably and lovingly with other children of God who do not share our values and do not have the covenant obligations we have assumed. In a democratic government, we should seek fairness for all. Jesus did not pray that his followers would be diverse. He prayed that they would be one. Modern revelation does not say be diverse, and if ye are not diverse, ye are not mine. It says be one, and if ye are not one, ye are not mine. We teach our members to concentrate their efforts to strengthen our unity, not to glorify our diversity. For example, we teach and seek to establish a community of saints, one body, the Apostle Paul called it, where everyone feels needed and wanted and where all can pursue the eternal goals we share. Consistent with the Savior's command to be one, we seek unity. Truly, oneness is not sameness. And unity of purpose will build the blessed community better and faster than on focusing on differences that divide. Ultimately, the blessed community is brought about by individuals and families and neighbors in his address at the NAACP National Convention, President Russell M. Nelson gave remarks saying, May we go forward doing our best to exemplify the two great commandments, to love God and love each of his children. Arm in arm and shoulder to shoulder, may we strive to lift our brothers and sisters everywhere in every way we can. And then finish saying, If we do, the world will never be the same. We often and rightly say with gratitude that we stand on the shoulders of the giants who have gone before us in our country and in our communities. We should remember that the only reason we can stand on their shoulders is because they were willing to square them. The color, the size, or strength of our shoulders doesn't matter. What matters is that we're willing to square them and work as one in unity to lift each other in this nation beyond the cycles of contempt and hate toward a better, more hope-filled day when the blessed community will come. Together we can and we should show the world what it looks like to create a blessed community and prove the possibility and reality of Dr. Martin Luther King's vision. Again, our goal is to create a beloved community, and this will require a qualitative change in our souls as well as a quantitative change in our lives. You've been listening to KSL News Radio General Conference Special, The Beloved Community, recognizing and elevating the interconnectedness of our lives. I'm Boyd Matheson, host of Inside Sources Weekdays on KSL from 1 to 3 p.m. And as always, as you go out into the world, make sure you see something that inspires, say something that uplifts, and do something that makes a difference. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com 
or wherever you get your podcasts.